Um, may you may be seated. I invite you to join me now in taking your copy of God's Word and turn with me to our passage for this morning, which we are back continuing on in the book of Proverbs, uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. So Proverbs 3, verses 1 through 8. If you've been with us at any point here in the past few weeks in the summer, you know we are spending the summer in the book of Proverbs, which is known, of course, as the book of God's wisdom. And it's easy for us, I believe, to come to this book and just see it as a manual. It's a manual of what to do and how to do it, because the book of Proverbs is very much a practical book on wisdom. It teaches us what is wisdom, but it also teaches us how to live in the wisdom of God. So there may be that temptation to come to it and say, okay, in a sense, the book of Proverbs is a checklist. And all I need to do is go through and check off A, B, C, and D, and I'm doing pretty good in life. But we just think of this book as what to do, as a checklist, as a manual for just actions. Then we will have missed the whole point of the book of Proverbs. Being somebody who is, it feels like I'm practically blind, and then in order for me to see something rightly, I have to put on my glasses. I have to have these lenses for me to be able to properly see something. And the lens, the glasses we need to put on, so to speak, for us to properly read and understand the book of Proverbs, we actually find in the book, in the New Testament, in the book of Colossians, that tells us this, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach, all, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Let me say that last part again, because those are the glasses, those are the lens for us. In Christ is whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In order for us to properly understand our passage, understand the book of Proverbs, really to properly understand all of Scripture, we have to look at it through the lens of Jesus Christ. And in particular, we need to see the book of Proverbs because he is the incarnation of the wisdom of Proverbs. We take Proverbs and, and, we, and we go over and we lay it over against the Gospels and we find this is Jesus Christ. He is the incarnation of this wisdom. So all the wisdom of this book is meant to first point us to Jesus and salvation that can only be found in him. And then from that, how we live in the light of the grace of the person, work, salvation, and wisdom of Jesus Christ. So what's the lens of Proverbs? The lens of Proverbs is that true wisdom is in Christ. It's faith in him that we therefore live for him. So that's the lens we need to have as we read our passage in all this book. So, Hopefully, by the end of me saying all this, you will have found Proverbs 3, 1 through 8. Let me pray for our time now together in God's word. Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ. And we know that in some ways, for those of us who are Christians, those of us who are faithful in coming to church, uh, Jesus Christ and the name, the personal work can sometimes just almost seem ordinary, mundane, uh, familiar. Lord, forgive us of that. There is nothing ordinary about Jesus. He is extraordinary because he is God incarnate. There is nothing mundane about him because what he works is really the miracle of salvation. And yes, he is familiar to us as Lord and Savior, but may we never be stop being in awe 
of who he is and what he does and how all scripture points to him. So may we be in awe of Jesus this morning in the book of Proverbs. May we see how we are pointed to him and encouraged in him and convicted in him through his wisdom. Be with us in this way now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Let's stand together now for the reading of God's word. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. There is something about the wisdom that we receive from our parents, our grandparents, our loved ones, that stick with us over the years and really for all of our lives. I would imagine you can probably easily recall wisdom your parents shared with you some years ago. And not only that you can recall it, but that you have lived by it. It's been wisdom that has helped your life and you've lived by it. And it's something you've probably shared with your family and with others. I believe the, the reason why the wisdom of our parents and grandparents and other loved ones stick with us is the motivation behind that wisdom. It wasn't that general kind of general blanketing. It was a specific wisdom for you. It was shared with you because you were loved and they wanted to help you. And because of that love, there is this intimacy to the relationship that you could share with them and they can discern for you that opened the door for this wisdom to be shared and heard for your help. And because of that love and that relationship, this wisdom was shared with you because they saw that need for it. Your mother, your father, your grandparents, or the loved one saw what was going on in your life, saw the reason, the opportunity to share this wisdom with you because you needed the help of it. You take... All that, you add it all up, you take it all and put it all together and you have a recipe for wisdom that will stick with you over all these years. It's because you were loved and you had that relationship and the opportunity and you can still live by that bit of wisdom. We see that same recipe at work in this book of Proverbs, this book of God's wisdom. As we've talked about in previous passages, the wisdom that's shared in this book It's first found in the context of Solomon, or at least some of the book of Proverbs. It's found in the context of Solomon, who's the father, and he's talking to his son and sharing wisdom with him in this intimate, conversational way. Like we said, it's like they're sitting on a log and they're they're fishing, and, and while they're waiting for the fish to bite, the father is sharing wisdom with his son, wisdom that the son needs. And that context is there for us as well, except Solomon isn't our father, it's God who's our father. And his wisdom is coming from him. Because the father loves us as his own sons and daughters. 
He's our Abba Father. And so in this love and intimacy of this relationship of father and child, he shares his wisdom with us because he knows we need it. We need his help. And we are blessed when we live by it. If you could imagine that the Heavenly Father putting his arm around you and saying, I know what's going on. Here, let me share some wisdom with you to help. Let me share my perfect wisdom to help you. We're reminded of that intimacy of wisdom again with the opening words of this passage, my son. In the Hebrew, it's one word, it's two in the English, but that, that phrase is pregnant with love, care, and well-being. It's like that, that wonderful sound of hearing your, your earthly father, our grandfather, our father figure say your name with all the love he can muster. Not saying your full name because you're in trouble. But saying your name and in that you hear all the love your father or grandfather or father figure has for you. That's this one word in the Hebrew. That's this word, these two words in this English phrase. It reminds us that God is speaking to us as his beloved ones, his adopted children. The Bible is a story in a sense about that, that, that the fact that we are the ones that God has sought after. We've talked more about John 3, 16. It's so familiar to us. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. And we said because of the nature of scripture, the, the testimony of scripture, we can take that and we can personalize it. For God so loved me that he gave his only begotten son, that he sent his son to come after me. Our story of salvation is really the story of a rescue mission that God has come after us. He sought after us. We're the ones. That he sent his only beloved son to come and secure our salvation in him so that his, this relationship will be an eternal one. Sometimes it can feel like God is stuck with us, right? Like when you go to adopt a puppy and you have to get the runt of the litter because nobody else wanted the runt of the litter. We can feel like the runt of the litter. But we're not. God chose you. God pursued you. He chose you because he loves you. He's not stuck with us. He's come running after us. That wonderful story of the prodigal son. The father has come running after us. That's how God is speaking to us in his wisdom. That's what this phrase, these words mean. is pregnant with this meaning that you are his beloved ones, his adopted children, the ones that he has sought after. And that's the pretext of God's wisdom in this book and in all this book. This isn't a, this isn't a lecture. God isn't sitting down lecturing us. He's not standing from the pulpit preaching at us. No, this is the pretext of his love sharing his wisdom with you. And what we find in these verses is this wisdom that helps us live well. We find all these you know, books and, and seminars and things like that that teaches us how we can live well. This is what we're taught here. It's not by some stranger who's making lots of money off of us and has really bright white teeth because you have to really have really bright white teeth to teach seminars on this and lead conferences. It's not something like that. This is the Father speaking to you out of love to help us know how to live well in the light of his love and grace. As we've seen in the previous passages, there's, there's very much a conversational tone to it. The father is talking to his son. So again, this isn't a lecture, this isn't a sermon, this is a conversation, this is an intimate, loving conversation. But it takes on a certain form here. 
And the form is ad- admonition that precedes promise. It's admonition, it's loving, it's, it's loving, let me back up and say this again. It takes on the form of wise and loving admonition that precedes the promise of blessing. And the tone is very much this. If you do this, if you will listen to me and heed my wisdom, then this is how things will go well with you. If you just listen to me, and listen to what I tell you to do, and you do it, then these are how, this is how things will go well for you. Now we're all familiar with that style of conversation. Someone has had it with us. Someone has sat down and said, if you just do what I tell you to do, then things will go well for you. And we've had it with other people. Maybe we've had it with our, our children or somebody else. But we've sat down and said, if you would just listen to us, open your ears, listen to us, and do what we tell you to do, then things will go well. And that's what the Father is doing with us in this passage. And what he is teaching us is that wisdom of help, that wisdom of help that focuses on our relationship with God by holding on to his teachings and centering on him, and that blessings will come from that. How will things go well for us? When we hold on to God's teachings, and when we focus on him in all of our life, then there are blessings that come from that. So what we hold on to, what we focus on, will determine how life goes. So are we holding on to the Father's teachings? Are we focusing on him? That will determine how life goes. These are the keys to having things go well for us. And what this passage tells us is this is a wisdom not only that we need, but it's a wisdom that needs to be deeply rooted. It's not meant to be you know, shallow, you're a mile wide and an inch deep. This is meant to be so deeply rooted it goes all the way down to the intuitive to the, all the way down to the intuitive level. That we are, we are holding on so much to God's teaching and we are focusing on him as we all turn our lives that this wisdom becomes the concrete realities of our daily lives. Several years ago, Allen Iverson, uh, NBA player for Philadelphia 76ers and who played his college ball at Georgetown University, uh, was at a press conference and was answering questions from reporters. Allen Iverson was known to have a rather lackadaisical approach to practice. And at practice or at the at the press conference this day, a reporter asked him kind of by his lackadaisical approach to practice. And I see some of you smiling because we remember the rant, don't we? Practice? Man, are you talking to me about practice? Practice? And Alan Iverson just goes on for several minutes talking about how ridiculous he thought it was that they were talking about practice. The reason for the question was a good one. Because as any good athlete knows, practice is important. It's not always enjoyable, but it's important. Because it's in practice that you build up muscles and skills and intuition through repetition. That's why you go through the same plays and motions over and over again until it starts to become to feel like second nature. That's why any good basketball player will tell you they have spent innumerable hours in the gym shooting an innumerable amount of shots. Why any good baseball player will tell you they've spent an innumerable amount of hours in a batting cage taking uh, an innumerable amount of swings. Why football players will tell you that they have to run the same play over and over again until it becomes automatic. 
They have to go through the fundamentals of learning how to tackle over and over again until it becomes automatic. Every good athlete will tell you it's all about practice. And that's the idea here in our passage in this book. That we hold on to God's teaching so much and we focus on him so much that this wisdom becomes so deeply rooted, it goes all the way down to the intuitive level. Yes, at first we have to think about it, but we do so much it almost becomes like second nature to us. When we're faced with how to live life, or our first thoughts are like, what does God's word teach, teach me? And how does this lead me to focus more on him in our lives? We need to start thinking of it and practice it where it becomes almost intuitive. Because it's only when God's wisdom fully enters our hearts and minds that we start to get a hang of how life really works. It's not until we live by the wisdom of God, we're holding on to his teachings and we're, we're focusing on him that we begin to understand how life really works. Early Christian theologian Irenaeus said, the glory of God is man fully alive. The glory of God is man fully alive. We are fully alive when God's wisdom is rooted all the way into our hearts and our minds so we start to live by it more and more in all parts of our lives. Again, this wisdom can only take deep root in our hearts and minds when we hold on to God's teachings. Listen again to what we said in verses 1 through 4. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. There's an implied question behind Solomon to his son. And that question is, son, do you want to live a good life? And that's a rhetorical question, isn't it? Because if I ask that question any of us, all of our answers would be, Yes, absolutely. I've yet to find a person who says, no, I want to live a a terrible, horrible, rotten life. We all want a good life. We want a good life for ourselves. We want a good life for our families. So we do everything we can to live and lead that good life. Well, the wisdom here, that spiritual wisdom, is if you want to live a really good life, the good life that matters, then wisdom is that you first hold on to God's teaching. Not about how much money you make, not how big your house is or or cars or land or anything else like that. It's all about holding on to God's teaching. It's about coming to his word and holding on to what he teaches us in his word, where he teaches us through his Holy Spirit. It's about knowing what God teaches in his word so we can hold on to it. And the idea here is that it's not just kind of a holding on loosely. It's a tight grip sort of holding. It's white knuckles and clenched fingers that are not going to let go. There's a documentary called Free Solo. It documents a man named Alex Honold. I think that's what you say his last name. We'll just call him Alex. But Alex is on a quest to climb this enormous rock rock formation in Yosemite National Park. But the trick of it is, Alex is a free solo climber. If you don't know, don't know what that is, all that means is that he climbs without any ropes, 
no harnesses or any of the protective equipment. He literally gets on the rock and with some chalk, he climbs. He has to rely entirely on his own preparation, strength, and skill. So just imagine hundreds of feet up in the air and you have nothing to protect you if you lose grip and fall. It's the most dangerous form of climbing. And you watch this documentary, and I will admit, I can only watch so much of it because he gets higher up on the rock formation. I mean, I know how it ends, but as he gets higher on, I just can't stand watching it. But as you watch it, you see how tightly he clings onto the rocks because he knows the minute he has a loose grip, the minute he lets go, he will fall to certain death. And that's the grip we're to have on the God's teaching. Because we know as soon as we let go of it, we will fall to certain spiritual and eternal death. But Solomon knows it's human nature that we all have to hold on to something. None of us are just kind of freeing it out there. We're all holding on to something. So again, implied here is asking the question, what is it you are holding on to? And the culture and the world, what is it you are holding Titus onto? What are you clinging to as if your very life depended on it? And the next question is, how is it working for you? How is it working for you? Is it providing life for you? Blessings? Is it drawing you closer to God? And that's a question we have to be honest about. So we may find we are clinging on to things we should not be clinging on to. And they are slowly eroding away our lives. It's the Father's teaching that we have to be paying the most attention to. Not the most popular theory out there that will change in a couple of weeks. It's clinging on to the Father's teaching. So we can have the wisdom to do what he is calling us to do. And we see the seriousness of this when it says that we are to keep the commandments. The word keep means more than just obey. It means to guard. It means to maintain vigilance. Let your heart guard my commandments. It's like your heart is your security system. Because every day... Satan and the world are trying to rob you of life and peace. So wisdom calls us to be on guard, to hold on, uh, to faithfully hold on to God's teaching so we can faithfully follow after him. Now, the question is, how can we best be on guard? Because we know anything about ourselves, we can know how easy it is to let go of the Father's teaching. That's why we sin. So we have troubles in life. Well, the surefire way to be on guard is to make sure you have Christ at the center of everything. Whatever situation, whatever scenario, if Christ is not the center of it, then it's like Ocean's Eleven. Danny Ocean Ocean and his crew are going to break into your heart and they're going to rob you all of God's teaching. That's why the Father is telling us to stay alert. When we forget Christ, we're not releasing the freedom we submit to false teachings that will destroy us. So we can think the Father saying to us here, stay alert. 
Be on guard on what you believe because it's my teaching alone that can make you lie down in green pastures. It's my teaching alone that will lead you beside still waters. Make sure that Christ is at the center of it because that's who we're being pointed to in verse 3. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your hearts. Where do we find a better, clearer picture of God's steadfast love and faithfulness than in Jesus Christ alone? You know, we think of people wearing uh, the, the cross on a necklace around their neck, right? It's around their neck and it's close to their heart. But what, the, what Solomon is telling us here, what the Father in Heaven is telling us here, is this is more than just a piece of jewelry. This is Jesus Christ. He is the incarnation of God's love and faithfulness. For God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. That God is faithful to forgive you of your sins in and through Jesus Christ. It's only when we hold on to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That gospel teaches us that God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son for your salvation, for your your soul, for your faith, for your life. It's only when we hold on to that that we are able to hold on to all of God's teachings. Again, going back to that documentary, the only way Alex can climb up our rock formation is to keep on putting this kind of climbing powder on his hands, and that's the only way he can hold on to the rocks. The only way we can hold on to the Father's teachings is when we first are holding on to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we can hold on to the Father's teachings. Because all of God's teachings either points to the gospel explicitly or implicitly. From Genesis to Revelation... Scripture is expounding the gospel of Jesus Christ for our salvation in life. So the wisdom for us to, to white knuckle hold on to God's teachings begins with the gospel. Believing in Jesus Christ, understanding that's the foundation of it all, and then we're able to hold on to all of God's teachings. And so when we have that white knuckle grip, then we can better focus on what we need to focus on. Look at verses 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Many people, many Christians, when they think of the book of Proverbs, they think of this passage. The most famous and familiar uh, passage is really in all the book of Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, do not lean on your own understanding. But what's the wisdom here? The wisdom here isn't about some ethic. The wisdom here is about the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So he's the center of it all. And the kind of trust that he deserves and he demands is that wholehearted trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. When we hold on to the gospel that we ought to, that's when we're able to trust the Lord with all of our hearts. There's an account shared of a man who was in an unfamiliar place. And it's winter. He had to cross this frozen river that he wasn't sure about. He didn't know how thick the ice was. So as he steps onto the river from the shore, he gets down on all fours. And he's crawling gingerly uh, forward across the ice because he doesn't want to fall in. So he kind of puts his hands out in front of him, makes sure the ice is thick enough, goes up, repeats the process. He's slowly, gingerly making his way across the river. He's about halfway through. He hears this, this racket behind him. 
And he looks behind him. Here comes four horses pulling a wagon. And the driver is whipping them at a pretty good clip. And they are just making their way across the ice. The guy was a local. He knew how thick the ice was. So he trusted and he was fearless. Too many Christians though, are like the man who is down on all fours. And we're creeping along and we're entirely too cautious because our trust in the Lord is half-hearted. We crawl along in life. We're afraid of where God may call us. We don't always trust His wisdom. And so we just kind of gingerly go forward at, at, at a pace that we feel comfortable with. Yet what's the wisdom shared here? That we should be like the man in the wagon with four horses just whipping it and going across because wisdom is to trust in the Lord with all your heart. It's not trust in the Lord with some of your heart, half of your heart, 95% of your heart. It's trust in the Lord with all your heart. Matter of fact, that Hebrew word translated trust means to throw oneself down on one's face, to lie down, spread eagle, and complete reliance. So wisdom is to trust in the Lord with all your heart. We stake everything on the gospel promises of God. If God fails, then we are doomed. But if God comes through, we are saved forever. And trust is knowing that God always comes through. A.W. Tozer explains it this way. Pseudo-faith always always arranges a way out to serve God in case God fails. Real faith knows only one way and gladly allows itself to be stripped of any second way or makeshift substitutes. For true faith is either God or total collapse. And not since Adam stood up on the earth has God failed a single man or woman who trusted him. That's to trust the Lord with all your hearts. We give him our everything. We give him our sins. We give him our weaknesses. We give him our doubts. We give him our fears because he is trustworthy. We give him our joys. We give him our excitements. We give him our strength. We give him our confidence because he is trustworthy. And he has never failed anyone who trusts him with all their hearts. And this trust will always make God the center of everything for us. Why will we no longer lean on our understanding? Because we have God. And we know that his wisdom is so much greater than ours. So don't, we, don't, we no longer just merely agree with the Bible, but we follow it and we trust it. And our wisdom is no longer our, our compass. It's the wisdom of God incarnate in Jesus Christ will be the one we look to. Why? Because as, the, as Solomon says it in here, that's the good life. Do you want to live a good life? Then we go to the wisdom that helps. We go to the wisdom that calls us to hold on to God's teaching with white knuckle grips because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to have him at the center of everything. Because make no mistake about it, God does not bless the sinful, rebellious life. We make the mistake of thinking the blessings of the world are really blessings from God, but they aren't. God's blessings don't ultimately destroy, but the world blessings do. God's blessings don't ultimately harm people and families, 
but worldly blessings do. See, what the world offers as blessings will ultimately destroy us, but what God offers us as blessings draws us closer to Him. And we live the good life in Jesus Christ. It may not mean we have a mansion in Winsboro and a, a house at Edisto and a house at Wateree and a house up at Lake Junalusco. I'm trying to cover all the places we go around here. Right? Um, it may not mean we have all the money we want, we can need in our bank accounts. But a good life in God is living for Him and for His glory. Knowing the wonders of His teaching. And focusing on Him because those are eternal blessings. So the wisdom of health is very simple. Hold on to God's teachings with everything you have through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And make Him the center of all things. And that's the good life. Let's pray.